Welcome to our e-revival. I'm so glad that you have joined us tonight. We're looking forward to another great time as we explore the Word of God. And really during this season, this pandemic, we have been able to look to the Word of God and find a lot of direction, a lot of guidance. And this week we have been focusing on people sharing their testimony as we talk about e-witness and really what it means to be a witness for the Lord during this very special time, this special opportunity that the Lord has given each and every one of us. Well, we're so glad that you have joined us tonight, and we're looking forward to another great discussion. I'm honored tonight to be joined uh, with my friend, Pastor Larry Sims, at Pastor Soulsport in uh, Tallahassee, Florida. And Brother Sims is one of my best friends, longtime friend, been friends for many, many years. We've traveled all over the world together. And Brother Sims, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Brother Myers, and I'm glad to be with you, man. Is the family and your church and everybody safe? Everybody's doing well up here. Everybody's uh, healthy. We have no cases of immediate church members. We have a few in the in the county, but not many in this area. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that. Well, we've been talking this uh, week, Pastor, about really what it means to share the uh, testimony, the witness of exactly how the Lord first started bringing us into a place of salvation, a place of ministry. And I'd like to just start out tonight, just maybe you could share a little bit about your testimony of how you first came to the Lord. Well, I have a, a you know, a wonderful relationship with the Lord that he has He's touched my life and changed me. When I was a, a teenager, my father and some of my brothers, we traveled around the southeastern part of the United States to uh, build airports and interstates, things of this nature. We were in construction and uh, in my late teens. And I was raised in church as an early, in my early years, but had not walked with the Lord. And in, in the state of Louisiana, actually, when we were working on Interstate 10, so that'll tell you how long ago that was, <laughs> um, I, I had... I had to watch a man burn to death. Oh. And uh, uh, it was one of the most life-changing experiences for me because I knew I wasn't ready to meet the Lord. And I knew that I would be lost yeah. if the Lord would come. And, of course, uh, this was early 70s, and uh, and uh, a lot of things were changing in our world then as they are today. And so... When I got back home, the first thing I did was went to church and made a I made an altar on Sunday night, mm-hmm. uh, December the thirtieth, nineteen seventy three, and the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost. And not long after that, He called me to uh, to preach, and uh, I have uh, endeavored to walk with Him from that day forward. And, and I went on to Bible college, uh, got out of Bible college. I met my wife there, uh, or the woman that was to be my wife. We married, and we went to Illinois for a couple of years. And then 1981, we moved back to Tallahassee, and I was an assistant at the church that I went to as a small boy. Uh, we assisted for about a year and a half, and then in July of 82, we started pastoring, and we've been here ever since. Wow. That's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of times people will, will ask us, what does it feel like to be called into the ministry? And how do you know for sure you've been called 
into the ministry? When you were just a young man and God called you to the ministry, how did that happen? Did you hear an audible voice or you just felt an impression or was there a fleece that you put forth? How did you know you were called? Well, I think there was a combination of things in my own life. First of all, uh, I, uh, when I got in church, I started uh, reading the Bible and studying the Bible as much as I could. And then uh, there was a scripture that he gave me out of Jeremiah, the first chapter. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I ordained thee and sanctified thee a prophet unto the nations. And that was the scripture that the Lord used for me. But there were several fleeces, of course. That's a major decision. Mm-hmm. And usually when you have a major decision to make, there are a number of uh, of uh, things, signs, uh, fleeces that the Lord does for you to confirm his calling on your life. And it'll be something that you can never get away from. And uh, it will, it will eat away at your heart until you respond. And so that's what I did. And then I went off to Bible college and Bible college uh, gave me uh, a good foundation as to how to study the word of God. And so it just became my life. And, uh, but in truth, my wife is the real pastor. I've, <laughs> I've just been allowed to, to go along for the ride. And, uh, and uh, she's a wonderful people person. And uh, I've been allowed to just teach and preach. And we've enjoyed, you and I have enjoyed many wonderful uh, trips, uh, as you said, around the world. And we've seen God do a great number of things. And I think uh, all of those things, you know, uh, of course, that was 40 years ago that I started uh, uh, pastoring almost, almost 40 years ago. And uh, God's been good, and he's, he's, he stayed with me and hadn't given up on me, so I feel good about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you love the Word of God, and we're good friends, and I, I can't tell you the number of times that we have uh, been in the audience and getting ready to listen to someone preach and they take a text and you pretty much tell me where they're going to go, what scriptures they're going to use, and what subjects. You know as much about the Bible as anybody I know. When you really developed a love for the Word of God, did that happen early on when you were in Bible school? Yes, uh, and two, uh, Sister Mary Craft, who uh, taught uh, scriptural memorization, she instilled it in us in our first year of college that if you don't know the Word of God, you'll have a hard time teaching or preaching. And, of course, uh, the old uh, proverb about the teacher, you know, he, he who dares to teach must they themselves never cease to learn. And so that kind of started it. But, of course, my parents, uh, they tried to raise us right. There was a time in my early mid-teens that I didn't, walk with God, but that wasn't their fault. And, um, uh, you know, it just, uh, it's always been core uh, to our home. Uh, that Even when we were traveling around the United States uh, with construction, every morning, Dad would have us read scripture. And, uh, and then at night, we would, and we would pray every morning before we left. And then we'd pray at night when we got back safely. And so it's just always been a part of my life. And I love the Word of God because it is alive. 
it quickens our spirits, it strengthens us, and it molds us and shapes us. Absolutely. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, um, Pastor, when we talk about the Word of God, and of course, you and I both feel strongly about how the Word of God is a is a guide. You know, David talked about it. it's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path, and and how the Word of God helps us to navigate troublesome times. Where do you see the Word of God being a strength to people during this pandemic that we're facing? How do you think the Word of God should be used effectively to help us during this season? Well, you know, uh, that's the wonderful thing about His Word is that we can always find comfort and uh, direction in its pages. I personally feel like with all that's happening in the United States today, uh, I, I fall back on my, my three favorite books of the Bible probably uh, are my favorite. And those are the feminine books of the Bible, uh, the book of Ruth, the book of Esther, and the Song of Solomon. And uh, there are all three types of the church. Mm. And in all three, there's... In Hebrew, there is uh, a parallelism. There's, in fact, uh, from from Genesis all the way through, even in the New Testament, there's Hebrew parallelisms, and um, you can use you can use those three books to triangulate exactly where the church is and what we're facing. I believe in this hour that we're living right now. And whenever people that are in their homes and they're they're dealing with fear. Somebody was telling me the other day that there's a fear index that they follow. Normally in America, it's somewhere between uh, seven and nine percent, and uh, right now it's around forty-eight or forty-nine percent uh, in our country. So a lot of people are dealing with fear and concern, and obviously all of these things about you know this virus and how it's affecting our life. What, what is it that they can go to in the scripture or where? Or what is it they can draw from in the Bible in particular uh, that would help them during this time? Well, the Bible says, uh, John tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And uh, if I might return then to those three books and just illustrate just a little bit of the parallelisms that are there. Okay. Okay. Uh, the book of Ruth is written, of course, in the time of Judges. Uh, Song of Solomon, uh, if you take it at face value, which I do, then it was written in the time of, uh, obviously, the kings, and then Esther was written in the time of the exile. But Ruth is about a Moabite woman being thrust into a Jewish world. Esther is about a Jewish girl being thrust into a Gentile world. And, of course, uh, the Song of Solomon, uh, which is a, uh, a wonderful story. Her name is never given, but she's referred to as a Shulamite, is about a peasant girl who is brought to the palace. And with each of these books, uh, there, is a type of, there is a type of Israel in each one of the books. Obviously, in Ruth, Ruth is a type of the church under the grace of God. And... Of course, in Ruth, you have a type of Israel as a nation, and that is Naomi as well. And uh, in the book of Esther, we have Esther, of course, is the type of the church. And she is a type of the church in a positional placement of authority by God. 
uh, not only is Esther in uh, the uh, the second bondage of Israel in a position of placement, but so is Daniel, Azariah, uh, the three Hebrew children, uh, Ezekiel, all of these individuals, and Nehemiah that went into captivity. They're all placed by God because of their righteous walk with him. They're placed by God in key positions in government. And God has done the same thing today, just like he did in the book of Esther. He has people in key positions of government, not only in our government, but around the world. And so you have those two books. And then you have the, uh, the wonderful book of uh, the Song of Solomon, which is about the love of God and how much God loves us. And, of course, a lot of people don't know the backstory of the Song of Solomon. And if you don't know the backstory and you don't know who's talking, it's hard to understand. But by and large, the Song of Solomon is about the king knew that he he was wise enough because God had given him wisdom. He was wise enough to know that he could not find true love in the palace because they would love him for the pomp and the splendor of the palace. And so he takes off his royal robes and and dons and the robes of a shepherd, goes down to Engadi, and there among uh, the vineyards and the orchards of Engadi, he finds a a peasant girl, and she thinks he to be a shepherd. She falls in love with him, and and then the king, of course, has her summoned to the palace to test her with riches and to touch her to test her with all of the pomp that's uh, there. But he doesn't tell her that he's the shepherd. And, of course, the whole book is about her discovering through the the trial and the test in the palace that her shepherd is indeed her king. And um, this is the revelation. We believe him to be king. The church does. We know him as shepherd. But when he returns, we're going to know that he is, we're going to know him as king as well. But it's about their wonderful love story. And these three books, if they don't prove anything, they prove the uh, the, the single authorship of the Bible because they all fit together so perfectly. And in my, uh, in my view of our current uh, times and where we're at right now, I see us as in the same place as each one of these ladies in each book, they all came to a place of vulnerability. Mm. If I could explain for just a moment. Absolutely. Um, Ruth, for example, and actually Naomi is the one that uh, that realizes this first. And, of course, Naomi is the type of Israel as a nation. Um, and all through either, all three of these books, uh, they all have a type of Israel. I didn't mention the Song of Solomon's type of Israel. It's the Daughters of Jerusalem. But in Ruth, Naomi realizes that the harvest is coming to an end. And the Bible is clear that Ruth gleaned in the fields of Boaz from the beginning of the harvest all the way to the end. So she knew that there was a winter coming where they were not going to have any sustenance. There was no field for her to go out and glean in. She knew they needed the right of redemption. But to get this to happen, Ruth has to place herself in a vulnerable position. She has to leave the comfort of residing with Naomi and go out into the night and place herself at the feet of Boaz, not knowing whether he will accept her uh, plea of redemption 
or whether he will reject her or whether she will be uh, thought of as uh, a promiscuous woman. And uh, it is at the end of the harvest. Uh, they are threshing barley and wheat, all that has been uh, garnered through the year. And uh, so she uh, takes off her robes of mourning uh, because she was a widow. And at Naomi's instruction, she goes down and she finds Boaz in the third chapter. And it's a beautiful story. And he awakes in the night and and she requests to be redeemed. And it's just a great love story. And, and so she puts herself in a position of vulnerability. And Esther does the same thing. We know that's the famous one. Mordecai comes and tells her that a decree has been uh, submitted by Haman and signed by the king that all the Jews can be on the 13th day of the 12th month. They can be just annihilated. There's nothing that uh, it is a genocide uh, law that is passed and there's nothing that they can do about it. And so he sits uh, at the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther realizes that he's uh, in grave danger. Uh, he can be put to death for what he's doing. So she sends messengers to him with a change of clothes. And he sends her word back again. That's very, very familiar. He says, uh, he explains uh, the the decree that has been pinned against the, the if I could call it that, the church, the people of Israel. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, deliverance is going to come to our people. But maybe, maybe who knoweth, but thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so he tells her that you've got to act. You can't remain in your place of safety. You can't stay where you're at. That's what I'm talking about with Ruth having to go and put herself right. at the feet of Boaz. And, of course, Esther fasts for three days. And on the morning of the third day, she puts on her royal apparel and goes and stands in the court of the king, not knowing if she will be accepted, not knowing if she will be rejected. And of course, her immortal words and the closing verses of chapter four are, if I perish, I perish. But she places herself in a position of vulnerability. Okay. And I think that's where the church is at. And the same thing happens to the Shulamite. Mm. The Shulamite uh, is brought to the palace by decree of the king, mm -hmm. but her heart is for her shepherd who is down, she believes, down at En Gedi. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he appears to her through the lattice uh, in the second chapter and calls her to leave the palace, but she's afraid because the king has summoned her there, and if she just takes off, it could be very disastrous for her. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he, his voice comes to her again, uh, in the fifth chapter, and she's asleep. She's gotten used to the comfortable bed. She's had a bath. She's got her pajamas on, if I can say it that way. <laughs> her feet's been washed. He's knocking on the door right. for her to leave her bed of comfort uh, and go out into the night and and with him. And she does, at this point, she still doesn't know that he is king. Right. So she fears for her life, and she hesitates. And then it dawns on her what she is doing. She's resisting the voice of her beloved out of fear. And so she jumps up from her bed, runs to the door, 
unlocks the door, and he's gone out into the night. This is troublesome to her, but she's finally had enough. She realizes, as Ruth and Naomi realize that the situation had to change, as Esther and Mordecai realize that the situation had to change, so too, too did the Shulamite. She realized she could not stay in emotional torment in the palace, uh, being there at the command of the king, when all of the long she knew her heart was uh, belonged to her shepherd. And so she leaves the palace. She goes out into the night. She meets watchmen. They rebuke her. She, keep, she uh, meets the people that are on the wall because she's going to leave even the safety of the city and go out into the night and find her, her shepherd. And they take away her veil, which uh, is an insult to her. It, it is the same as accusing her of being a promiscuous woman. She goes on out into the night, and she finds her shepherd, of course. And uh, she finds him in the garden. And uh, this is where he was calling her to in the second chapter. Mm -hmm. She told him that she was afraid to leave uh, the palace. And in fact, she requests... Make the shadows or the fears go away, and I'll follow you. Well, fear goes away when we realize how much God loves us. Yeah. I've often said through the years that every person that's ever came to me, most often they perceive that they have one particular problem, and you can just put a name on it. It doesn't matter. And I've concluded with 40 years of pastoral experience that really the only real problem people face today is they don't know how much God loves them. Wow. Because if they understand how much God loves them, wow. every fear that I have, every doubt that I have, abates into the fog of the night. Because he's always there. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never let us down. And, of course, the happiest man in the palace at that point was King Solomon. Yeah. Because she had, by leaving and rejecting the wealth of the palace and the safety of the palace, she realized he realized how much she loved him and so he goes out they get married it's a wonderful story it is one of my favorite but all of these books uh have that same story in common in every book the woman that is a type of the church realizes that things cannot remain as they are we've got to lay it all on the line we've got to put ourselves in harm's way, if I could say it that way, or in a position of vulnerability where we realize that we've, Jesus is about to return. Mm. And Boaz did go on and marry Ruth, and she found redemption. And what a wonderful story of grace. She no longer worked in the fields of Boaz. She was now the mistress of the house, right. <laughs> the governess of the house. Right. And Esther, of course, got the this, this scepter of the king extended to her. And he gave her her petition. And, of course, the Shulamite marries Solomon, and uh, uh, they have a wonderful love story. And that's where we're at. We really have no need to fear. Wow. Because God is still in charge. He always will be. He doesn't allow anything. Anything that happens to me, he has signed off on it. And whatever I fear, if God has signed off of it, on it, I can't keep it from happening to me, right. and so there's no need to to panic. And if he doesn't sign off on it, it's, it can't happen to me. Right. So we might as well just relax and enjoy yeah. 
uh, our relationship with the Lord and move as close to him as we possibly can. Yeah. Uh, lay it all out there for one another and uh, just uh, serve God with all of our heart. And I do believe we're seeing and we're going to see as a result of this a massive revival in the United States of America. I really believe that. You brought up some really interesting things. I uh, was thinking as you were talking about how the church is a type of this, these three different ladies and these three different books and how that each one of them had to reach a place of vulnerability. Do you believe, right. Pastor, that uh, the church is at that particular place now where we're feeling our vulnerability and it is the desire of the king or our God to, to draw us closer to him where we're more dependent on him? Absolutely, because I think what we're feeling as church people and as pastors especially, I think we fear that some of our rights are fixing to be taken away mm -hmm. and that we're going to lose uh, the right to assemble at the drop of somebody's hat in Washington. Uh, and I don't want to even get into the, that, but these are real fears that people are facing today. But I think what we have to do is just march on forward with the gospel and exactly what you just uh, recommended. I believe he's calling us closer to him. Absolutely. You know, a lot of discussion has been made about how this is a time where God is calling us to a closer relationship, but we don't want to just go back. You know, a lot of people want to go back to normal. And then you've heard this phrase, the new normal. So what do you think is the position of the church with the new normal? Is God calling us to a, a place of greater relationship with him? Uh, yes. In, I mean, all of us, what do they say? The, the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, in each of the cases, there was a, uh, there's a certain amount of preparation. Ruth had to change her garments and put on, put off her garments of mourning, which she was wearing according to the law. But at Naomi, who was a type of Israel's instruction, she, she was told, no, take those off, take off the, 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 the garments of sadness and, and let him know that you need redeeming. And of course, he sent her home that morning with uh, many, many times more grain as a gift to Naomi. Mm. And the Jews understand that that gift to Naomi was a statement by Boaz saying, I will, if the next of kinsmen does not want to redeem you, I will, I will redeem you. This is why Naomi told Ruth, she said, this man will not rest until this matter is settled because of the gift that he gave her. And this is what happened to Israel prophetically in 48 when they were, and they got their homeland and they, Israel was born as a nation. They had received, like we at Pentecost received an earnest of our inheritance. Mm -hmm. They received an earnest of their inheritance. That's why this is saying that the Lord is coming back so very, very soon. And, and so, and Esther did the same thing. She realized the only way I'm going to be accepted of the king, she didn't try to seduce him, which as her husband, 
you know, she may have could have gone there. I don't know. But what she did do was put on her royal apparel. She got ready for the occasion. And again, I think that's what the Lord, and I think is what you're asking me about, yeah. is those very things. And then, of course, the Shulamite, she realized, I can't stay in this this bed of comfort anymore right. when I know that my heart is not going to change. I love my shepherd, my beloved. And, of course, once she forsook all of that, then the king gave her the revelation that he was one and the same. Right. And, of course, they were married. And uh, it's just a great love story. And so I think God is calling us to a closer walk with him. Yeah. How would you explain, Pastor, to a person that maybe is not a believer or doesn't have that kind of relationship with the Lord and they've heard that God is a God of love and that we can trust that love, and yet they look around and they see this and they're like, what kind of a loving God would put us in a pandemic? How do you explain to people that dynamic? Well, what you have to understand, of course, is there's a lot of things that go on in America that God is not okay with. He didn't sign off on. And we, as a, as a culture in many of our areas, especially in the last few years, have asked God to butt out. Mm. Uh, I was in school, uh, in elementary school when they, uh, when they prayed in school and, we said our ple- pledge allegiance to the flag, and we also recited the Lord's Prayer every morning. That ha- the stop when that came to an end. I was in school. I saw that happen, and so we asked God to butt out of our schools. Mm. And now, as you can see, and have for many, many years now, we have all these uh, shootings in schools where right. uh, we've asked God to to, to butt out. And then if you, I mean, you can take it anywhere you want to go. Any place we've asked God to leave, he's been such a gentleman to back away and leave us to our own devices. And when we do that, then everything is open. And, uh, um, of course, uh, man in his, uh, you know, professing themselves to be wise, the Bible says when they walked away from God in Romans chapter one, they became fools. Mm. And uh, that's what happens to any society. The nation that forgets God is a nation that is going to go into ruin. That's throughout the Old Testament. And so uh, just as it was in 2001, September 11th, we had people that were backsliders called us crying that day on the phone. Mm. And it woke America up for about 15 minutes, if I can say it that way. Right. But then she soon went right back to business as usual. And uh, I think, I don't know that it was a new norm. Uh, in some ways it was because of all the way that security changed. But this is something that security can't deal with. Right. You know, this is airborne. Uh, in fact, even the numbers show that this this quarantine, this self-imposed or government-imposed quarantine really hasn't cut down on the numbers uh, of uh, the people getting it or the people dying from it or the people getting over it. It's, it's all about the same. And so the Bible is clear. Uh, the sixth trumpet, when it is sounded, there will be plagues. Uh, the fourth seal uh, is about plagues and sickness. These things are happening in our world. 
and we've got to be ready to meet him. I believe he's soon to return. And I believe this is just all of these things that are happening are an alarm, a trumpet, uh, a sound to awaken the church again. And so I don't think we can go back to business as usual. I think, uh, Amen. Amen. I think we've been, uh, as Brother Tenney said, we've been maintenance men too long. Mm. You know, Moses was, uh, as a young man, he tried to start out as a dictator. That didn't work. Then he spent 40 years in the wilderness being a, yeah. a maintenance man. Yeah. And that really was not what God wanted him to do. And finally, yeah. in the end, he taught Israel how to get a well of water for themselves. And uh, after that, Israel never had another water problem because he taught them to sing uh, in a desert. And uh, so if I were trying to win new people to the Lord, I would tell them, you can't blame God for all of this that's coming on the earth. We have no one to blame but ourselves because we've asked God to butt out of our business. We've compartmentalized God to Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Wow. Or maybe Tuesday morning on a prayer, uh, an hour of prayer. And so he's a gentleman. You ask him to walk away, he'll walk away Wow! and leave us to our own devices. You know, you mentioned uh, 9-11, and you know, it was said that after 9-11, more people went to church on that Sunday following the disaster up there in New York City. And then after that Sunday, they did not return the following Sunday. And it's like you were saying, they just kind of went back to their normal routine. But also, when I think about that statistic, I think in terms of a lot of people went to church on that Sunday, but they didn't find what they were looking for. And when I think back about that situation, and I look to where we are now, I don't want people to be able to go through this and not find God. What is it that we can do to make sure that we move to a higher level and that we don't just go back to business as usual. Whether we're a believer or a non-believer, what is it that we can do to ensure that this is not just some passing scare and then we go back to living the lives that we've lived, but that we actually make sustainable changes in our life that does make us ready for his second coming? Well, I think that, uh, again, we'll go right back to every step of faith that you or I have ever taken has always placed us in a position of vulnerability. That's what faith is. All the T's are not crossed. All the I's are not dotted. But yet, every step of faith that we've ever taken, God was clear. We knew the voice of God in that step that we should take. And I believe that God, and I go back to the three ladies, Ruth got redemption, Esther got a new law, and the Shulamite got a king. Every one of them, when they had a happy themselves, <laughs> they had happy endings. Right, and and uh, and and God is not—he's not forgot his people. Amen. And he knows how to deliver the godly uh, and the righteous out of a troublesome world. And so we've got to remember these things. And uh, prayer. This is for me. Prayer has been the one arena where if you sincerely pray, no matter who you are, if you have no relationship with God, if you have never even talked to God, if you talk to him, he's faithful to answer you because 
when you pray, only you and God know who or what you prayed about. And when God answers prayer, that's a sure signal to me that he's real. And God has always answered the prayer of a repentant heart. I've read the Bible a couple of times in my life, (laughs) and I've never found a place in it where God refused a repentant heart and would not answer them, would not call to them, would not help them uh, and bring them along in, in a relationship with him. Wow. Every time anybody ever repented and, and sought God, he, 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 he is, Job said, uh, well, James said about Job that the end of the Lord is that he is a merciful and a God full of pity and he loves his people. And uh, so, and I found that to be true in my own life. I have, it's not something I believe. This is something I know. I know him to be a God of mercy and a God of of pity. And so uh, I would encourage anyone, prove him, put him to test, Mm. write a prayer list. Don't tell anybody about your prayer list and just pray and talk to God about it and see him answer it. And if he answers it and you've not talked it to anybody else and there's no way that anybody else could have answered it, you have to conclude that God answered and heard what you were praying. And uh, he will do that. That's why he gave that clause. The clause that you mentioned, 7 and 14 of the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, has to do with Solomon, if I might elaborate for just a little bit. Absolutely. It, Solomon is going to dedicate the temple and every king was supposed to have their own personal copy of the law that they kept by the throne chair that they sat in. And this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so it's my personal belief, knowing what is written in, in uh, Kings and Chronicles uh, that relate the story there are seven scenarios that are put before the uh, the Lord in his prayer. Because he had a prayer prepared, and when the smoke died down, he had a scaffold built that was in the middle of his uh, temple that he built for the Lord in the courtyard there. And he climbed up on that scaffold and he prayed that prayer. And he had studied the law, and of course God had given him wisdom. And in the law, he saw seven scenarios or gaps that there wasn't, the T wasn't crossed or the I wasn't dotted under the law. And so he says in his prayer, what if this happens, God? What will you do? What if this happens, God? What will you do? What if this happens, God? What will you do? And he goes through all seven of them. And the Bible is clear that the Lord did not answer him at that particular moment, but Days, weeks, it may have even been months later. We don't know. But the Lord returns to him. And, of course, this has to do with the council, uh, the divine assembly in heaven. And this is where he responds. And he tells Solomon, here's the deal. Because he actually gets an amendment to the law here in these seven scenarios. Uh, Just like Moses got an amendment to the law in Exodus chapter 33 where he got the 13 attributes of God's goodness and his mercy added to the law. Solomon also got 
these seven scenarios added to the law. And he added, he added to them, and then he said, here's the deal. No matter what happens, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from the Shamayim, from, from the heavens, the, the place where celestial bodies resolve, where the, the heavenly court is. This is where God got his divine assembly to make a ruling on it, kind of like the Supreme Court. Right. And they make the ruling. Well, here's what. If it's not covered in the law, God, if it's a scenario that's not there, whatever the scenario is, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their lands. Wow. And, of course, yeah, no greater promise in the Bible than that one right there about right. God answering prayer. Wow. That's so rich. So powerful. It's so good, Pastor. I so appreciate all of these insights that you've given us. And what a tremendous example is given to us through these, these scriptures and these different stories that illustrate what it is that God is doing in terms of bringing us closer to him. And uh, I just want to... I know we could talk all night about this. It's, it's just uh, it's nourishment for our soul and our spirit, and it's so powerful. And uh, as you were talking, I could feel the presence of God. But I know we're up against the hour. I wondered if we could just close this out uh, tonight by just praying together. And I'm going to ask you uh, if you would mind just praying over us and uh, just end this time by just asking the Lord to be with us. I know that there are people that are watching this and you feel the presence of God in your home and you feel the Lord drawing you and calling you. That is not by accident. It is God trying to show his love, just as Pastor Sims was telling us. And we just want to pray over you right now. And Pastor, I'm going to ask you if you would just lead us in prayer right now and just pray for every single person that's watching every home, that they would feel that love of God and know that indeed the Lord is calling them to that very special place of relationship with him. Lord Jesus, we love Thank you. Lord. And we're so thankful, God, that we have you to come to in these troublesome times, Lord. We know they are but a signal that you are soon to return. God, for those that have a relationship with you and are walking with you, you're calling us to grow closer to you and to, to take another step to, to risk ourselves and uh, to seek to lose our life for your sake and for your kingdom. I ask you to help every individual, God, that is in that position. Give them the courage to take that step, Lord. And for every individual that's in our world and under the sound of this, this uh, broadcast, Yes. God, that you're laying a call on their life. And yes. They feel this, Lord, but they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. Guide them and direct them, yes. Lord. Move them in the direction, Lord. You will, you have, you always have. For the hungry heart, you've always brought to Calvary. I'm asking you, God, to speak to their hearts. Yes. Let them know that there is a real, genuine relationship with you. Yes. An experience that's last, uh, lasting 
that's mm. with them for the rest of their lives. Yes. It creates God that appetite in our souls and in our spirits to hear Your words speak comfortably to our hearts on a daily basis. Guide them, God. Put them in contact with one of Your people, God. Lead us and guide us to the hungry of this world、yes. that are genuinely searching for a relationship with You, God. Yes, Lord. Do these things in the matchless. In the wonderful, magnificent name of Jesus, and we'll give you the praise, Lord. Give you the glory and the honor. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless every pastor, God. Yes. Move God in our midst、mm. and help us draw close to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jesus' name. That's so powerful. Boy, I feel the presence of the Lord, Pastor Sims, and I'm so thankful for your time and thankful for your heart, and your knowledge of the Word. What a great blessing you are. To the kingdom of God, also serving as the coordinator in the state of Florida for our organization with disaster relief, and you do so much for the kingdom of God in so many ways. And we just can't thank you enough. And if you're watching this this broadcast and you feel the presence of God as we do, I want you to know that the Lord has something very special for you. We're going to give you some information how you can follow up and just allow God to put some people in your life that'll help you on this journey. Because the Lord wants you to be a part of that bride of Christ, and He is coming back really soon. Now may God bless you and keep you, in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everyone!、I、want to thank you for joining us here at East Wind Pentecostal Church, and we want you to know that if you'd like to be baptized in Jesus' name, we can do that for you today. We can do it here at the church. We have a baptismal here at the church. We'll even come to your home if you have a swimming pool. We can baptize you in your swimming pool. It's that important for us to help you to be baptized in Jesus' name. We also want you to know that if you'd like to learn more about the Word of God, more about the Bible, that we have experienced teachers that can come to your home, teach you a home Bible study. We can even do a video chat. Whatever works for you, we want you to know that we're here for you. Also, very important. If you need prayer, we have prayer teams that can come to your house, pray for you at your home, or you can even send in your prayer request here to the church. We just want you to know that we're here for you, and that we want to do anything that we can to help you in these trying times with your walk with the Lord. You can visit us at www.eastwind.church, and our phone number is three two one seven two three twenty thirty. God bless.